Hi, I'm David Green, and thanks for tuning in to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Joining us today is a true visionary in the field of people analytics, Ashish Sharma, Vice President of Workforce Intelligence at Raytheon Technologies. Back in 2016, Ashish founded the Workforce Intelligence function, and since then, due to its impact and the business value it has generated, the team has grown to an impressive size of around 45 people, and Ashish is part of the HR executive team. From inception to what it is today, Ashish has been at the forefront of shaping the evolution of Raytheon Technologies' Workforce Intelligence team. With a focus on productizing and scaling people analytics across the enterprise, Ashish has also successfully navigated the challenges of supporting Raytheon Technologies through mergers and acquisitions, while simultaneously building firm foundations in place for the future. In this episode, Ashish and I will be exploring how he scaled his workforce intelligence function while supporting the organization during major transformations. We'll also delve into the strategies, best practices and lessons learned from Ashish's experience and the increasing role AI and machine learning is playing in people analytics. So without further ado, let's get the conversation started. Ashish, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Before we dive into the conversation, please could you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Raytheon Technologies? Yeah, thank you, David. First of all, I'm delighted to be here. So I I lead the Workforce Intelligence COE at Raytheon Technologies, which uh, includes people analytics, uh, workforce planning, as well as intelligent automations in HR. I've been with the organization for close to 15 years now, started in what was called as the HRIS uh, function, and then moved on to create the workforce intelligence function from the ground up. And prior to Raytheon Technologies, I, I spent a few years in consulting, helping organizations stand up data and analytics solutions. So I love the intersection of strategy, technology, and data, and that's where my passions are. And you've been in, obviously been in the analytics or around the analytics space for, for quite some time. And you've obviously seen it evolve a lot during, during that period. Yeah, tremendously, uh, more so than I would have thought. And I'm sure you would agree. It's, it's been remarkable how the space has evolved. And as you said, Ashish, you were a, a, a founding leader of people analytics at, or, or workforce intelligence, as I should properly call it. At, at Raytheon Technologies, and yeah, back in 2016, I think you you started the function. Um, so in those seven years, you've grown the team to, I understand, around 45 people. You know, looking at f- from the lens of a founding people analytics leader, how have you seen the the function evolve over the years to to what it is today? Yeah, David, like we just talked about, I think the space has evolved more significantly and remarkably than what I would have expected. And when I look back to the time we started back in 16 to where we have now, you know, I can think about a few dimensions in in which things have changed rapidly. I think first, when I think about the business impact and value that solutions coming out of people analytics are actually adding, uh, they've matured remarkably well, there is a lot of business demand and absorption of the solution. So the use cases have really proved themselves out well. I remember back in the day, we were doing a little bit of the selling, right? Had, hey, we should try this, we should try that. But now 
I think the maturity of the solutions and the acceptance from the business, um, you know, to to think about examples such as, you know, business decisions such as location selection or being able to forecast uh, workforce gaps or even certain organizations who are able to drive better profitability or growth by linking people data to sales data or operations data or financial data. So I think that is probably the most remarkable development in the function, which is actually great news for the function. Um, then I think about the pace at which the data and technology has evolved in the space and what that has done to the expansive nature of work that the people analytics groups are now doing has been significant. You know, earlier on when we started, it was much more around employee lifecycle measurement. Like, you know, you want to measure attrition, you want to measure engagement. Now you've got data that is being collected and then tools that are available that are helping us understand even the effectiveness of our own HR programs, right? Even for us thinking about, hey, what does the staffing for a recruiting function need to look like? There is so much data that we can use to inform HR programs and, and strategies which again speaks to the evolution of data and technology and the scale at which the solutions are touching uh, stakeholders, right? Earlier it was, HR was the primary stakeholder. Now you can see like this giant leap in just the stakeholders for Beep and Analytics. And, and finally, one of the most exciting developments for me that I, that I look back and now I see is just the level of talent that is available and the career paths that have uh, taken shape in the place, right? It used to be a little bit of a niche space, a boutique function. Even a role like mine was really not something that organizations had in place. So now, you know, seeing people analytics professionals really get themselves uh, educated, there is academic, um, you know, offerings in the space. There are true careers that people can can make out of this. So it's, it's absolutely remarkable how the space has grown. And, you know, um, I'm sure you do this a lot and you would agree with this. I still think we are in the early stages of the growth of this function. I think there is a lot of goodness ahead. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think we, you know, there's a lot of ramp still to go. But I think particularly if functions focus on what you've highlighted there, you know, number one, business impact and value. That's really what a people analytics function should be there to do. And we'll talk about some of the research that we've um, done at Insight 222 during our conversation. But but ultimately, those those workforce uh, analytic, workforce intelligence team or people analytics teams that focus on delivering value back to the business are, are ones that tend to have a bigger impact, get more investment and everything else. And the data and technology, as you said, that that how it's changed and transformed in the last or six or seven years is is, is quite significant and obviously I guess that what it allows you to do is scale, plus bring myriads of different data sources together. So as you said, you know, it's gone from looking at the employee life cycle to, to something far beyond that. Now, I suspect some of the people listening have already thought, hey, analytics, workforce intelligence. So now we're going to get to the crux here, I think, actually. So you've, you've named your function workforce intelligence. Now, we've, we've talked about this before, but I really love for you to share with with listeners, you know, what prompted this 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 naming and this branding rather than than people analytics or workforce or analytics or any of the other names that, that you could have could have chosen? Yeah, this is a really fun question, David. And I, I wanna say there is actually a lot of thinking that went into the name. So when we started off in, in 2016, uh, the function was actually called HR Analytics. 
And we were in very early stages of even separating between reporting and analytics and just starting to figure out what, what analytics would look like. And in the first three years of doing this, we grew our capabilities and, and talent and solutions pretty rapidly because we were going through a large HR transformation at the time, which brought significant investments and support from the leadership on scaling analytics, right? So three years in, we grew our capabilities that, you know, significantly in a way that we started doing a bit of a step back and said that, hey, what should we look like in the next three to five years? There were a couple of really important themes emerging that we were seeing at that point. Uh, one was just the strong emergence of machine learning and a little bit of artificial intelligence. The other thing that happened was we picked up intelligent automations work as part of our portfolio. So now we were really trying to do work that, you know, quote unquote, was beyond analytics purely, right? It was helping enhance effectiveness of our programs. So we ran an entire session where we revamped our value proposition. We got the team together and, and redefined our mission. And part of it was naming. So we went through a lot of different options and, and the team really settled on workforce intelligence as, as the choice because it, it brought together the emerging themes that we were seeing, the work that we were seeing, and, and to even make it even more compelling for us right around that moment, we also started going through the big merger between United Technologies and Raytheon. And uh, the team at Raytheon was already branded workforce intelligence. So that gave us uh, an even more compelling reason to do it. And culturally for us, it just felt like the right brand. And, and I think one of the other things that you've, um, that you've done, and certainly we've spoken about um, in our conversations before, and obviously uh, it's interesting, you, you really emphasize how you built the team with the objective to scale um, analytics and workforce intelligence within, within Raytheon. And um, you know, our recent research at Insight 222 found that leading companies in people analytics have a strong focus on productizing people analytics, as I know that, 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 that you have at Raytheon, and then it's scaling this across, across the enterprise. Love to hear, you know, and I'm sure listeners would as well, because we get lots of questions about this around productizing people analytics. You know, what is your approach at Raytheon Technologies to, to productizing people analytics? You know, and are you able to share any examples of, of your work in this area? Yeah, this is a great question, David. And I would say, like, you know, for us, right from the get-go, this was a central theme of we not only wanted to do this, but we wanted to do this at scale, given the size and complexity of our organization, right? And I would sort of sum it up by using a quote from the book, The Lean Startup, which, by the way, I highly recommend to any practitioner out there. And it goes, think big, start small, and scale fast. And that was the philosophy that I used when we were in the initial stages of find, founding this function. That is still uh, remains our philosophy today when I think about the next stage up, right? And and let me play out a couple examples of, of how we've done that, right? So in the early stages, we were very focused on just foundational analytics capabilities. And one of the focus areas for us was how do we build really good self-service dashboards and analytics for our global HR partners so that we can put it in their hands and they can use them to answer really good questions and use that as a opportunity to do some consulting with their business customers, right? But as we were thinking about 
what would really make it successful or what would really make it work, there were two or three things that became important as part of that. Uh, number one was we knew that we had to make sure that the tools are going to be extremely simple and intuitive and easy to use, which then kind of fed into our inputs that we were providing to technology selection because we really wanted to make sure that the visual visualization component of the tools and the ease of use was prioritized on that. And then we also knew that the world of living in static dashboards or reports is never going to be enough for our HR community. We would need to figure out ways to constantly and rapidly enhance these tools, create greater functional flexibility to support ad hoc requests. And part of it was how do we create sort of like an execution framework around it internally within the team? And that's where we started really integrating design thinking and product management into how we did the work. We hired for those skills as we were adding more headcount gradually to the function. And at the end of the day, we were able to cut in half the amount of time that it took for us to produce a dashboard. And then on a monthly basis, even today, we are rolling out enhancements to those products. We are collecting feedback. We are learning on the go. Um, so it was fascinating that it was important for us to think big, but we didn't wait for everything to come together, right? We started small, but then we were scaling fast because of technology and this infusion of design thinking and, and product management, right? And if I fast forward that to some of the more recent work that we've done, right? You know, a lot of uh, people analytics teams are um, doing predictive work around attrition. They forecast attrition and, and they try to forecast risk of, of talent leaving the organization. And, and we did some of that in the early stages of multiple pilot runs. But at the end of the day, we figured out that a true customer of that product is a people manager. And it's important that we were not only getting good at forecasting, we were not only focused on, hey, is the model performing well? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? But we had to figure out a way to put that into the hands of a manager and do that in a way that was really intuitive and easy and built into their workflow right? As opposed to, they're not HR people, they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the time. So the analogy was like, hey, we were very busy building the inside of the iPhone, the guts of the iPhone. But what we really needed was that front of the iPhone. We needed that interface. And that has become part of the thinking process that has become part of the execution process on how we scale this stuff. And actually, I think you had something really important to enable you to do that, Ashish, was was bringing those design thinking and product management skills into the team. Because you had people, presumably, who could do great predictive models, and they're thinking, as you said, the inside of the iPhone, but by bringing the design thinking, the product management skills in there, they're thinking about, okay, how do we actually get people to use this? How do we make it easy, as you said, simple and intuitive and easy to use? Absolutely. That is a big part of, of how you scale this and, and, and deliver this and Obviously, the skill set matters and the prioritization of that skill set matters a little bit. But for us, we, we always knew scale was a big part of the mission. Let's pause for a short moment and give a big thank you to our sponsors of this series. ChartHop is on a mission to create healthy transparency within organizations so that employees and organizations 
thrive. How? By connecting the puzzle pieces of your people data to create a dynamic picture of your organization. Seeing everything in one place promotes people-first and data-driven people operations. Every career milestone and the people who make them happen are powered by a people ops platform. Head to charthop.com forward slash digital HR to learn how to empower your organization through insights, alignment, and action with ChartHop. That's charthop.com forward slash digital HR. What organizational challenges should be considered when structuring a people analytics team, you know, your operating model? And what guidance can you give to those listening who are maybe a bit earlier in their people analytics journey um, or are aspiring people analytics leader when it comes to kind of structuring your team and then evolving that over time? So let's do this. I'll start with a bit of, you know, what I would consider good news or, or potentially a good problem to have. And it certainly keeps me very motivated in my role, which is the solutions and the impact of the solutions in this space have matured so nicely that there is a lot of demand and acceptance for the solutions, right? And on the other side of it, there is so much data being generated and there is no shortage of types of things that you could explore or mine and create insights around that the possibilities, the art of the possible continues to expand, right? Um, that was not the case, like I told many, many years before, and it was a lot of selling involved in the solutions. So when I reflect upon some of that, I would offer two or three focus areas, whether it is somebody who's starting or early stages of, of that maturity or somebody even further ahead, because even for us, we continue to think about this, right? The first one I would offer is to the ability to separate impactful work from interesting work, right? It's very important that the leader of the people analytics function is truly spending time and is creating pathways to understand, discover what is truly going on in the business and what matters right now at the business and is able to direct the solutions or the creation of new solutions towards that. As opposed to, like I said, you could be doing a lot of interesting stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, you wanna create impact, but at the back of the impact, you also wanna create investment so that the business leaders and the HR leaders feel like they are getting the return on the investment of these solutions and they continue to invest, whether it's investments in talent, technology, partnerships, whatever. The second thing I would tell you is it's also important to separate the urgent versus the important. There is no shortage of ad hoc requests and fast moving things that are needed in the organization where, you know, even though some organizations may have tools in place to uh, help with those things, but because of the expertise and the skill set and the knowledge and understanding that people analytics professionals have, they are able to quickly put together insights at a faster pace than any others. And sometimes what that leads to is you become the be all and all of everything that's going on. And what that takes away from is the important work of what I would call building the machine, which is like scaling your products and, and creating capacity. So 
I've seen organizations solve this structurally where they try to create a reporting team separately from an analytics organization. I've seen companies solve it by creating more focus within a larger team where they'll have an analytics team, but members of the analytics team would be focused on reporting and others would be you know, focused on other aspects of, of work. Um, in my experience, uh, the structure is not as important as the focus. It's it's really important to insulate that focus, and and uh, it's challenging. It's not natural. It's not easy to do because you're also trying to build credibility, and you want to be out there and and letting people know that you're able to produce some some great insights. Um, and then the final piece I would add is, you know. Uh, stuff that is really, really hard and very few people understand, but matters a lot, which is data quality and governance. Um, it's it's really hard to get leaders and other constituents excited about being able to do data governance and data quality. And I've seen a lot of lot of teams try to solve it within their teams, so they'll have multiple people clean, scrub, profile data because they don't really know how best to you know, uh, go about this in a much more structured manner. And the advice I would offer is that is, at the end of the day, a core engine. And whether it is your IT function that has more influence, tooling, or resourcing to be able to help address that, whether it is external partners you want to engage on this, you don't have to solve everything on your own. Building out those key partnerships, right? Uh, being able to do highly focused work, impactful work. I think that's to even even today for us, David. That is still very much part of the recipe, right? So I, I think those things go a long way. Are there other skills that you've you've kind of built into the team as you've kind of moved through the years? I I don't know if you because obviously with a team of forty five. I guess you can potentially have specialist skills such as you know NLP or, or or other skills in the team that you may not have had the luxury of having when you had a smaller team at the start. Yes, I think uh, we've been fortunate enough to sort of grow capabilities and headcount, but more importantly, really put together a team that has a pretty good diversity of the skills. Right, so we've got folks with consulting expertise, um, and, and they are much more forward deployed into our business units and in the businesses. We've got folks that are really great at data engineering and, and data solutioning and predictive modeling. I would say in the last couple of years or so, um, where we've spent a lot more energy was around how do we get really, really good at communications, uh, driving better adoption and stickiness of our solutions, as well as uh, leadership engagement and stakeholder management, right? Which comes a bit of with what I would say the storytelling skills. And earlier on, it, it we were doing this before David, but our work product was at a place where we could easily partner and get somebody's 10% time to do this. Now we are at a place where we've got a diverse set of products and services. We get engaged in complex scenarios. We get engaged in cross-functional problem-solving projects that when we come out with a solution, um, I often use the comparison that, you know, first three to five years of our journey was all about building and developing analytical products. So a lot of the energy was there. Now, a lot of our energy is on how do we create impact adoption and growth 
out of those solutions, right? So from a skills perspective, I think a, a lot of emerging stuff for us is ability to do enterprise scale, program management, change management, communication. Some of it, we are starting to house within our, our function. Some of it, we still continue to partner with other areas where we have expertise in communications or talent. In, in, in. But I think about you know, what that has created in terms of the shift. Um, yes, we continue to see workforce planning is another example where we continue to see some of the shift happen from a skill set perspective. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about mergers and acquisitions now, which I know is something that you've you've had a lot working. You you mentioned the the the, the merger between Raytheon um, Technologies and, and United. Oh, sorry, Raytheon and United Technologies earlier as well. Um, and you've gone through a series of mergers and acquisitions, as well as divestitures um, during your time. How did how did you and the workforce intelligence team support um, the organisation doing these transformations and? And what are some of the opportunities and, and maybe some of the challenges that, that arose as part of this? Yeah, I, I, I want to say, David, that a large part of our own evolution had a very strong connection with the overall business transformation that has happened in the enterprise over the last five years, right? We've gone through significant merger, acquisition, divestiture activity, which required us to kind of also adapt and support and and sort of grow our own capabilities as those events were happening. And the way that I see that the team has uh, has evolved in supporting that is when I go back to four to five years back on on when some of this activity was happening, we were sort of playing the role of what I would call as a data provider. There were external vendors that were part of the mix and they would require HR data sets and, and my team would get engaged in essentially becoming the data provider. We would offer a little bit of interpretation and whatnot. And then they would go off and do a lot of hardcore stuff that happens from an integration and planning perspective, such as you know organization design, you're trying to figure out impacts to locations and, and workforce costs and other things. Fast forward you know, a few years out and having done a few of these, we were able to build a bit of that infrastructure and expertise to essentially become a co-partner on those initiatives, right? So when I look back in the in the last couple of years, as, as we were going through like the big merger between United Technologies and, and Raytheon, you know, we were a strategic advisor and a consultant uh, in in the M and A work and the integration work. I was part of the core team. Um, we pulled together consolidated data to be able to respond and help the organization uh, facilitate, you know, a number of org design-like activities, a number of, um, you know, location and workforce impact-like activities. So I've seen this gradual shift of us going from data provider to sort of like, you know, the, the co-creator and, and really having a seat at the table. Uh, it certainly come with its own set of challenges, right? Because as you can imagine, there are limits to the feasibility of what you can integrate from a data perspective. There's also um, a whole lot of definitional work you have to do and assumptions that you have to create, make sure that you are integrating data, consolidating data the right way. Certainly you can't do a whole lot of historical trending because systems are not integrated at this point and, and there is no process harmonization work. So. 
but we've had a really great partnership as well with cross-functional teams. You think about like legal, privacy, finance as, as we've done this work and just being able to drive consistent, consolidated analysis for the corporation where there is one place to go, one team to rely upon and one source of truth, that's been hugely beneficial in, in these um, types of transactions that have happened. And you you pulled out one really key relationship, I think, for for people analytics. I mean, legal and privacy are are key relationships as well. But I think finance. We we had um, we had Laura Schubert from MetLife on the podcast uh, a few months ago, and she really talked to the importance of that relationship between people analytics and 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 the finance team at the company. I, I just wonder if if you if you had any sort of additional words to say about how important that relationship is to to the success of people analytics. Yeah, I think it's tremendously important. It's tremendously important in a couple of different ways. I think if if you were to look at the world where a people analytics function did not exist, finance was essentially largely responsible in, in many organizations for headcount. And they naturally, as part of the work that they do, have to incorporate a lot of assumptions into financial planning and analysis, a significant amount of uh, the money that an organization spends is, is is on human capital, right? So you've you've got finance as a stakeholder that was much more closely involved prior to like people analytics sort of being there. And now with people analytics being there, one of your closest stakeholders is sort of finance because you want to always be in a place where HR and finance are using a common source of truth, right? There are no uh, discrepancies of what finance thinks is is the headcount number or HR things, which is an age-old problem uh, that that I've seen in in many companies. But also, at the end of the day, it, it, finance becomes a strategic partner when you think about things such as workforce planning. Uh, when you think about even driving investments to people analytics in some cases, right? When they understand the scope of work that is done and the impact of the work, um, you know, we were. We were there last week in, in New York and, and Jonathan talked about the importance of um, knowing your HR CFO, the, the finance person really responsible for the HR function and, and building a good relationship with them, specifically for the people analytics leader. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's not a relationship which is transactional from my perspective. It's a relationship that should become very strategic. And, and, and I guess that that relationship is the importance of that relationship is magnified during merger and acquisitions. I mean, obviously, you I don't need to tell you that these things can take quite a lot of time. And you've talked about some of the data challenges around the availability, the definition, bringing those data data together, aggregating them. You know, with that in mind, you know, how do you answer some of the strategic questions that you undoubtedly get from the C suite? Um, while in parallel putting those firmer foundations in place, you've got to—I guess—you've got to be doing both. As you said, you you made that journey from data provider to co-provider. You know, how did you how did you make that that change, and how did you answer some of the, the ongoing questions that that you got? Yeah, it is absolutely one of the most challenging parts of of M and A work, I would say. Right, and uh, HR as a function is is thrust forward because everybody wants to understand the people side of the implication and people side of the impact as they are working through that. And like you mentioned, I think our strategy has evolved to we have parallel tracks. We have a track where we are going to work the larger 
game plan of getting the systems consolidated and integrated where again we have a large role to play because we need to inform sort of some of the requirements to how data needs to be structured uh but before that this is kind of sort of like the you know the chaos of of the integration if you will a a, a large part of important work that we've had to do was helping the organization truly understand the consolidated workforce and and help them understand not so much at a hey number level but help it kind of put it and map it in context of the financial structures like because you're looking at a business you're looking at at a pnl level and you also want to look at your workforce at a pnl level and there is oftentimes no natural way to link people data at at a program or a pnl level and i think that's where the relationship with finance and the collaboration with finance becomes really really important because you are helping leaders who are now getting charged with um significant amount of integration and change management work that is ahead of them and they need to better understand their uh their workforce in the way that they look at their pnl the other example that i would give you where where we've had what i would say more emerging capabilities and work done is also helping the leadership teams understand the potential level of change or concern or uh, communication needed by doing sentiment analysis right so we've been able to partner with the change management organization or the communication organization where they were running specific surveys to really get a sense of you know what are people feeling as we are going through this journey and we were able to put some of the nlp work that that we've been building up to work on that and that has gone a long way in helping senior leaders really focus their communications on the topics that are most important to the employees right uh, whether it be through town halls whether it through it be through other uh communication forums that are being used it's allowed them to get a better understanding of what the impact and change looks like when you are looking at it from an employee perspective it's also allowed them to address the right issues when they are out there talking to people we hope you're enjoying this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast if you are looking to continue your learning journey head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the my hr future academy it is a learning experience platform supporting hr professionals to become more data driven more business focused and more experience led by taking our short assessment you will see how you stack up against the hr skills of the future then our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way helping you to close your skills gap deepen your knowledge and press play on your career You know, as someone who sits on the HR leadership team, you know, how do you position your workforce intelligence function to ensure that it prioritizes the most impactful work for the business? It's probably bringing out a little bit more what we talked about earlier uh, around impact versus interesting. <laughs> we have a fantastic CHRO David and a fantastic HR leadership team and uh, I have the privilege of uh being part of that forum more so in a business advisory consulting capacity i would say right you know uh, 
And it has it has helped in a couple of different ways. One is around the notion that you're bringing up and how it has helped the people analytics function is by being part of first-hand discussions um, around the most important emerging priorities of the business or shifts that are happening from a business perspective or things that need to be addressed or things that are coming around the corner. And by having first-hand knowledge and visibility to that, it has given me um, the opportunity to continue to direct the work of the rest of the team that we are doing, continue to direct the work of the projects that, that we are working on in line with where those priorities intersect, right? Um, so that has been tremendously beneficial. And there is also a flip side that we've seen of this benefit play out, right? Where because you've got somebody like me, I'm able to sometimes offer much more real-time inputs and consulting in a much more data-driven manner to discussions that are happening at that forum, right? So rather than something sort of becoming a follow-up or a to-do to say, hey, let's look at data and come back to it, oftentimes we are having that discussion in the moment and we, and we are trying to address, we also have a strategic planning process, a goal alignment process where every year we go through a little bit of a, what does two to three years look like for the HR function? What are the most important priorities and initiatives that we need to be working on from a business perspective? And then by providing a lot more richer input and awareness of the people analytics solutions or workforce intelligence solutions, I am able to sort of integrate some of that into the strategic planning process, right? So at the end of the day, what's really happening is we are closing the loop faster on our responsiveness to the emerging needs of the business. And, and one of the things is, is, is you pointed out is the pace of change and the amount of change has just been rapid, which means that the HR function has had to constantly pivot, the people analytics uh, teams have to constantly get pulled off and on on, on emerging priorities. And, and for me, you know, our goal is not more solutions. Our goal is to maximize the impact of existing solutions where they can be put in place. So it's it's more about repointing the laser back to where it will have the highest impact. Yeah, really interesting. And certainly, you know, the three years we've been doing the research, the annual research at Insight 222, we've seen that more, you know, there is more, more of your peers, heads of people analytics, now reporting directly to the CHRO. And even if you don't report to the CHR, I think the important point you've made there is you want to be part of the conversation at the HR leadership team level. So as you said, you're hearing it at first hand. Um, you're hearing it first. And not only are you hearing it, you're able to inform the discussion as well by, with, with real-time data. They're really interesting. And I know one of the areas where you're particularly doing that is around workforce planning, which I know is a real passion of yours, Ashish. So that, let's turn to that. Um, there are several Bs with strategic workforce planning. I'm going to read some of them now, otherwise I'd forget them. I'd list them. Build, buy, borrow, bot, bounce, boost. I hadn't heard bounce before, I must admit, until you, you talked to me about that. But how have the past few years, along with the M&A activity, influenced the way that you approach workforce planning at, at, at Raytheon Technologies? The biggest shift for us, uh, David, has been around putting more emphasis and energy on strategic workforce planning. Um, you know, as you know, we've talked about this before, workforce planning 
is very broad and it can mean so many different things to different stakeholders. And traditionally, uh, many organizations have put a lot of their workforce planning energy behind what, what you would consider operational workforce planning or headcount planning and forecasting, where essentially you're really looking to look at the size of the workforce. But when I think about the type of business that we are in, the industry that we are in now, and then the M&A work that has, uh, you know, uh, the the drivers for a lot of the M&A that we've, we've been doing, what it comes down to for us is not just having the right size of the workforce, but even more importantly, it's having the right skills in the workforce, right? And by the way, it's also incredibly important for us to generate more learning pathways and growth opportunities for employees if we are going to retain and develop the best talent we need, right? We've all seen sort of like the uh, last few years of volatility in terms of employee departures, employee experience, and, and all of that. So I know it's easier said than done. It's not been easy. It's been tried before. But when I think about where our focus and energy needs to be, and certainly we are putting tremendous energy behind this, it's really about being able to do the skills portion of it because it's not just good for the business. I think it's really good for our employees too. What were the building blocks that, that you've used to help you successfully tackle workforce planning at scale with that with that injection of the, the skills piece to it as well? So it's kind of, as you said, moving beyond the operational workforce planning and looking at headcount, but actually looking at skills. Yeah, I mean, we've spent tremendous energy, you know, trying to do our best due diligence on this on a variety of fronts. In fact, you know, y- you know this, we've, we've, taken advantage of a lot of insight to do peer conversations and the research uh, playbook that was created by Insight 222. And if I were to kind of put it back to you in, in sort of like a building blocks construct, what I would say right now for us, the building blocks look like the following. It's people, data, process, technology, and partnerships. And let me hit upon a couple of them, right? Let me start with like process and partnerships. Um, If there is anything that's incredibly most important to doing successful workforce planning, according to me, is to be able to do it in a cross-functional manner. It's not a thing that one specific function like HR owns. And we've been spending a lot of energy in building those relationships, specifically in areas where we've piloted some of this with our digital team or with finance and and business leaders. And the idea behind that is, how do we get really smart and effective in the HR function, in the workforce intelligence function on translating the business roadmap, translating the financial objectives into critical roles and skills? That translation layer is hard to do. And it's more sometimes art than science, right? So we've been spending a lot of our energy on the partnerships pillar. Um, Separately, we've also been spending a lot of our energy on really figuring out what our process and technology needs to be around collecting and sustaining skills data. And as you know, we've talked about in the scaling piece of this conversation that being able to put technology around a process and being able to figure out a really effective process and being able to put technology around the process and being able to put good data on top of it is the path to scale for us. So we've been trying to figure out, hey, what's the right set of processes and and technologies for us? 
And uh, we've sort of also built out our own version of the process and definitions, right? Because part of what, what when we started talking to many different stakeholders in the organization, what we learned was really there were too many different definitions, too many assumptions on what workforce planning even means. And we had pockets of the organizations having their own, let's call it the four-step recipe or the five-step recipe on how to do this. And and one of the things that, that we've done is we've hired a really smart workforce planning guy who's leading this stuff for us. And he's put together a really common playbook for us. We could have talked about workforce planning a bit longer, but I think we're approaching the sort of the end of our discussion now, Ashish. You know, before we do that, I want you to gather your thoughts on the topic of technology. You know, probably like me, you've seen the you know the, the advent of Chat GPT has has prompted renewed discussion about the increased role of AI and machine learning in, in people analytics. And you've already talked about how you've used NLP, um, you know, in terms of arming your executives with with how employees are feeling at the various stages of the of the of the merger. What do you think the you know the the growth of AI and machine learning means for the people practice of people analytics moving forward? Yeah, David, I think when I put my practitioner hat on on this stuff, this is certainly a hot topic, as you can imagine. And I think if I put my practitioner hat on, I think there is a lot of opportunity of this to make the work of a people analytics professional more efficient at a foundational level. So you are able to sort of let go or automate tasks, you know, that you could have an AI or machine learning uh, capability do that for you. There's also a lot of, I think, exciting development that would allow people analytics practitioners to get deeper with their creativity, innovation, and, and how they are able to explore and mine data. But I think on the other side of it, what it really will also do is thrust more responsibility on the people analytics professionals to be even more bigger stewards of data. I, I think it's gonna put them at a place where ensuring that there is tremendous transparency and explainability of solutions uh, is going to be a big part of their job. Like for us internally, as we've done this work, we've got a couple of really important guiding principles. Our first guiding principle is privacy first. So everything that we do starts with privacy and starts with discussions around privacy and, and the right inputs we need to collect. And second is where we have a, there are no black boxes kind of a rule, which is everything that we build, we need to be able to clearly explain that to any audience, right? So I think those are newer elements, I would say, that are going to become important part of the skill set, but certainly a lot of excitement of, of what the capabilities are. When I think about, you know, if I put my leadership hat on, when I think about as a leader, I think one of the things I would love to see happen more is for HR leaders and in general business leaders to get much, much more knowledgeable and familiar with the concept of AI and how it works. Because at least from an HR perspective, this goes beyond people analytics. This is about HR being able to inform the strategy of its own function as the businesses adopt these technologies more broadly, right? How does HR function help with things like organization design when the businesses are adopting? And then also, I think it it's important to create, you know, a, a sense of excitement and embrace for these things and have the right set of education so that where there is 
greater relevance and applicability within the HR function, the leaders are able to quickly embrace and adopt these solutions. I, I think about simple things such as like, hey, how do we improve response time to employees for their queries, right? Um, something really foundational, simple. Um, so I think there are implications to both people analytics teams as well as the rest of the leadership team. Ashish, we, we have two more questions left. Um, so we're going to look to the future on both of them, actually. Um, so, you know, what's what's next on the agenda for the, the workforce intelligence uh, team at, at Raytheon Technologies? This is certainly a question that keeps me on my foot. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. We actually talk about it as a team. And, and I think um, the future is very, very bright for the space, for us, uh, for workforce intelligence and RDX. There are two or three big vectors ahead of us. I think the number one for us is how do we get really better at creating more integrated products and services? We've grown as a team really spanning separate set of pillars and capabilities. Like we've got dashboards, we've got advanced solutions, we've got consulting. And now when I think about what's our mission from a business perspective, which is strategic workforce planning, it's about bringing all of those capabilities and expertise in an integrated manner and putting that into the into work, right, for the, for the businesses. Um, the second interesting vector that we've got is we need to continue to figure out ways to empower not just business leaders, but also people managers and line leaders. Um, you know, I think they play an incredibly important role in the development, management, and retention of talent for us, and specifically in the hybrid, remote, and in all the different role types that, that we are in, they need more insight into the workforce because they need that insight to do their jobs better. And employees expect them to do that, right? And what I mean by that is really not like putting dashboards in the hands of people managers, right? We've done a little bit of that. It's really about helping develop that intelligence, David, which puts the right insight at the right time in their workflow. Right, so if they are having a performance discussion and they are slated to have a performance discussion, how do they know that, hey, so-and-so individual has been this long in the role, this was the last time they received a promotion, and this is the right conversation to have. How do we proactively give them not only just intelligence, but sort of context around what actions they could be taking, right? And then finally, you know, the, the third one I would say is, we absolutely have to continue to expand and scale our data platform to be able to support more qualitative analytics. I think there is a lot more that needs to be done in the space of sentiment analysis and, and really understanding the behavioral aspects um, that can help with important objectives around making sure that well-being, work-life balance, and flexibility are still you know, cornerstones of, of what employees expect from organizations. Love all of those. Love all of those. And we, are we going to stay in the future, the sort of near future now? We're going to broaden out, I guess, to to HR. So this is a question we're asking everyone on this series, in fact, the, on the previous series as well. What do you think HR leaders need to be thinking about next in the sort of next uh, 12 to 24 months? And what's your biggest concern and, and what do you see as the biggest opportunity? Yeah, so this is my view. I still think that the shift around future of work that the beginning of the pandemic created 
is still going through a lot of norming and storming where we haven't seen organizations adapt to a so-called operating rhythm or predictability around how to figure that out. And that central theme is driving a lot of other aspects that we are seeing happening. We are seeing how organizations and the HR function have had to get into a little bit of a reactive mode on, okay, how do we think about recruiting talent, right? What does it mean to our recruiting? You know, is it a is it a pool where everybody can work remotely? How does how do we continue to offer the right level of insight and consulting to business leaders who may have their own perceptions on on what the future of work looks like versus managers versus employees. So from my perspective, I think it still is a top of mind agenda item because so many of the HR programs have had to go through a rapid shift and probably will continue to get recalibrated, readjusted. Uh, I mean, you talk about the headline story of inflation where everybody thought that, hey, what's going to happen to compensation now, right? How do we think about compensation in, in a market like that? And I truly believe, David, like, 10 years out, 15 years out, whoever is going to write the bestseller on this or is going to do a look back. I think this moment in time is going to draw a bit of a separation from organizations who were able to continue to learn and adapt and pivot their HR practices and how they navigated this versus organizations who did not and they may have seen greater disruption. So I, I think that should be top of mind. When I think about the concern what it presents as a challenge to the HR function is everything that we just discussed has also been happening to the HR function. So the HR professionals have also been dealing with significant amount of change. There has been attrition. There has been concerns around how do we do work-life balance. And the challenge for HR leadership is how do we create a better HR function, a smarter HR function, more career development and retention for the HR function while we are also trying to figure that out for the rest of the business. Um, it's, 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 and there is no script for this. There is no precedent for this. We are all sort of learning on the go over here. So I, I do think that that is a big challenge in front of uh, many HR leaders. Ashish, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, really exciting to hear about the amazing work that you're doing at, at Raytheon Technologies at the moment. Thanks for being a guest on the on the show. Last question, how can people stay in touch with you and learn more? Yeah, first of all, thank you very much, David. This was really uh, tremendous for me as well. I appreciate the opportunity and, and was certainly very excited to do this. Uh, the best way to find me would be on LinkedIn. Um, and if you happen to be a member of the Inside to Do Forum, you'll often see me in one of those meetings because I'm constantly learning from the best uh, people, uh, my peers in, in the organization, as well as guys like you, Jonathan, and others at the Inside to Do team. So it's uh, it's been a tremendous journey. Well, thank you very much. That's very generous of you to say that, Ashish. Thank you so much for 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 sharing your story with listeners of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast, and I hope to see you in person very soon. Likewise, David. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I do hope you enjoyed listening to Ashish Sharma's insights on scaling the workforce intelligence function at Raytheon Technologies. If you liked what you heard, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast listening platform and share the episode with your friends and colleagues on social media. Your feedback and support are invaluable in helping us to continue to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going 
to myhrfuture.com. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Until then, stay well and take care.